Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. And this is Joshua chapter 16. We have been in this section now, this new section where we're focusing a lot on the land. It's really all about the inheritance that God is giving his people. And so in the last couple of chapters, it's been a lot of talk about Judah. We had Caleb, you know, who is of the tribe of Judah, who was going and taking uh, this inheritance. He fought the Anakites successfully, right? This 85-year-old beats these giants, right? Um, and then now we're moving on to the rest of the tribes. And today we have some really significant ones, particularly we're starting off with Ephraim. And if we remember uh, from from Numbers, and, you know, if you remember, we didn't cover this on Die Strong Word, but from Genesis, Ephraim holds a per- very particular place among the tribes of Israel. It, it becomes, uh, well, we're going to talk about it, but I mean, it, it is like the, uh, the the key territory in the north for, for various reasons. So uh, today, very, very prominent tribe that we're talking about and considering, you know, as we look at these different names and uh, mentions of Canaanites, right, who don't get driven out of the land, uh, what what's going on there and how is this fitting into the bigger picture? So good stuff looking at this one today. And joining us, we have returning for us here, we've got Pastor Rolf Preuss, pastor of Trinity, uh, Sydney, and now hang on a second. And this is the one that I get messed up here because I think it's actually two congregations, if I recall correctly. So it's, yeah, it's Trinity in Sydney and St. John in Fairview. Yes, uh, both there in Montana, kind of like sister congregations. I, I believe they even have the same website. Good morning. Welcome, brother. Good to have you back. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, I did get that right, that they're, they're actually like two congregations, but uh, there's like a partnership between them, and I, I suppose that you might be the glue in that. <laughs> yeah, they've been sharing a pastor for quite a while. Uh, yes. Fairview, Fairview is uh, about 10, 12 miles north of here, and it's right on the state line. In fact, part of Fairview is in North Dakota, and oh. part of it is in Montana. But uh, it's a small church, and uh, the one here in Sydney is a, is a bigger one. But uh, no, it's a it's a wonderful parish. It's great to serve here. Well, praise God for the work that you're doing, and uh, it's always good to see you know our our congregations in cooperation with each other. And I mean that that is uh, the beautiful thing about our model that we really are all part of the the same larger church and it's uh, always good when we acknowledge that in the way that we go about doing business and uh working together and yes uh serving through the work of the office of the ministry so uh yeah thanks for sharing a little bit um and for coming on today and yeah this is uh this is a really really important tribe it's uh we're, we're not at all going in order of, you know, it's not alphabetical order, right, of the tribes here. Uh, we're not looking at, you know, the order of the birth order of the of the sons of Jacob, uh, but really these first two, looking at Judah and now turning to Ephraim, there is a unique prominence uh, that they have among the tribes, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting chapter. Um, and, of course, Ephraim's position is 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 kind of interesting when you look at how how uh, Manasseh is is older, uh, right? Ephraim. Just 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 like Esau mm-hmm. was older than Jacob, and you see kind of a little bit of history repeating itself here. Right, right, yeah. So that's something good for us to to talk about, making that connection to to Genesis, and I think we're going to be. Uh, making that connection to that blessing that was back in Genesis chapter 49 a few times as we go over these chapters. It's just, um, it seems like just all this stuff that was foreshadowed all the way back when uh, just seems to be kind of just panning out as, um, in, in some ways, uh, as Jacob said it would when he was blessing his sons. So, yeah, good stuff. Looking forward to to diving into this. It's a shorter chapter, only 10 verses. And, you know, when you look at it in the ESV, it, it kind of actually groups 16 and 17 together, which makes a lot of sense. It all is Joseph, right? Um, so they, they do belong together. So in some ways, it's kind of like only the first half, but zooming in on this gives us a chance to kind of focus and kind of consider these bigger questions about even maybe the both of them um, together, how they, they function as a unit and how they function in the North. So uh, some some good stuff for us to consider 
if uh, everyone, if you're at home, right, this is a good day uh, while you're listening to pull out a map. <laughs> you can just Google one, like find one on Wikipedia or something like that. Or uh, if you got your Bibles out, sometimes you got those nice maps like the Lutheran Study Bible. Uh, which we've been referencing uh, regularly on, on the program that has some good maps that you can take a look at. So good, good opportunity for that. If you are listening in the car, please don't do that. So <laughs> without any further ado, brother, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening along today? Okay. Lord God, heavenly father, you have given us the Holy scriptures that through them, we may learn all that we need to know about you and about our salvation through faith in your only begotten Son. We pray that you would, uh, to this end, uh, speak to us through the words that we'll be reading here today, uh, confirm us in our Christian faith, uh, strengthen us in our resolve to confess the truth as you give us the opportunity to do so. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, let's just read just a few verses here, just to get us started. And maybe we just read the first three verses. And then we can kind of ask, okay, so this is this is the new section here. Um, you know, how does this relate to the, the stuff that we were uh, hearing about before, all the stuff about Judah? How does this set us up for, as we were saying, not even just the rest of this chapter, but the rest of the next two chapters? Uh, all the way down through the end of 17. So just, just these first three verses to kind of just get things started here in the English Standard Version here from the top. The allotment of the people of Joseph went from the Jordan by Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho, into the wilderness, going up from Jericho into the hill country to Bethel. Then, going from Bethel to Luz, it passes along to Adaroth, the territory of the Archites. Then it goes down westward to the territory of the Jephthalites, as far as the territory of Lower Beth Horon, then to Gezer, and it ends at the sea. Okay, so broad strokes, we just kind of had it laid out here, and particularly um, just kind of uh, this treatment, it seems to kind of be talking about you know, Joseph as a, as a unit so far. It hasn't even um, mentioned here specifically Ephraim and Manasseh. And that, that's kind of interesting all just by itself even, right? Because we've seen that in um, in Numbers that sometimes when we were going through like the different lists, it would just talk about even even the tribe of Joseph sometimes. So, so yeah, so they're, they're treated kind of together here as a group. We're, we're starting out. This is the second allotment here. So, yeah, so what what's kind of the your thoughts on the sequencing here and how this is uh, functioning between uh, what we had before and the, the next two chapters coming up? Well, I think that uh, you've got, obviously, you're going to have Judah, and uh, because Judah is the, the line uh, for, the, uh, for the Christ, and now you're going to go from there to, to the uh, important uh, leadership of, of what would then later become Israel, and uh, uh, and and it's just simply a matter of setting forth the historical uh, dividing up of the land, and uh, beginning with Ephraim and Manasseh because of the prominence of 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 Ephraim. Uh, so, right. just chronologically, yeah. that's why it's it's laid out this way. Right, right. So it is, and that's that's something important to to note as you as you're pointing out to us that the, the chronological side of it, this is just how it how it happened. That is what the language is telling us, and so sometimes that's not super clear um, from the way things get translated. But like the very first word in Hebrew, right, is um, and then went out, or or, or then it came out, right. So. Um, it, it really is just giving you a sequence. So, like the first thing that happens is, uh, and, and this we have the word allotment, right? But uh, and we've talked about this a little bit here and there. But there, there seems to be a casting of lots, which is something that we've seen before, uh, not as a way of leaving things to chance or trying to be like, well, let's just let it be random because it'll be fair then. But but as a way of allowing God actually 
to assert his will over the situation. They're saying, you know what, we're not going to vote on it. We're not going to, you know, have a debate. We're just going to let God decide. And so, as you were saying, this is just chronologically how the lot fell. But as we know, if it's up to God, it's not at all random. And you can see the purpose, as you were indicating. Yeah, you do see. It's uh, interesting. I was reading, uh, I think it was by, yeah, uh, Adolf uh, Harstad on Joshua. Mm-hmm. And he made the point that, I, I think it's a good point, this this whole section here is that history as as theology. So so God is teaching us theology, but but the historical narrative does have an underlying theological purpose. And so we and what you just said that uh, this isn't just a random happenings here, but God's running the show. And you right. can see that. Yeah. Right, exactly. I, I, I like the way that put it, putting it, um, God teaching us theology through history. So, yeah, it's, um, and, and I guess, you know, not to get like too down this, this kind of rabbit hole here, but, you know, very often people can look back, especially on ancient texts, um, because this is an ancient text, right? And yeah. they can look back on it and say like, well, it, it's history kind of uh, being spun, like a, a narrative being spun to convey theology, right? That we kind of have like a, a theological idea and we kind of um, put it in terms of a story, right? Like the story would be a, a neat way of expressing that idea, but you know, it's, but kind of almost like fiction in that way, right? Like we're, we're kind of, you know, just using the story to kind of represent the ideas, but you're not supposed to be like taking anything from it, but, but no, 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 it's, it's just as you were saying, it's the other way around, it's God directing history itself, like what happens next, one thing after the other, so that we would understand Him, and that's really what the what we mean by theology. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. good. So, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, theology is simply uh, talking about God, and of course, in the Bible, God's the one doing the talking. And right. so as, as you go through the his, history of the Old Testament, it's just very instructive, and oftentimes the, the writer, whether it's Moses or whomever it may be, doesn't make an explicit theological deduction, but he leaves it for you, the reader, or the hearer, yeah. as the case may be. Right. Oh, I get this. This is, why, this is why this happened this way. This is how God was, was doing things for his people. So, right. yeah. Yeah, no, that that's true. And we will have, you know, as we go along here, a little bit of explanation here and there, right? Um, I, I think at some point in these in these two chapters, there's going to be some mention that, well, it, it kind of makes sense that you had uh, all this land that goes particularly to, to Manasseh just because they have so many people, right? So there's going to be some explanations here and there. But as you're saying, a lot of this is just kind of presented here, like, and this is what happened, right? And and we're supposed to kind of just get <laughs> the theological point. You know, it's sort of like, well, if you've been listening attentively so far, like, you know, this should be clear. And so that's why it's so important, you know, when we, when we go and we start talking about numbers, we start talking about Genesis especially, right? It's not like we're kind of getting off track or we're kind of like just bringing in other stuff that doesn't belong. It's all of this, uh, the way this is told, is just assuming that you've kind of been following along. And so just as you said, so that you yourself will understand the theological point that is being made as history is narrated. So so here we have just this summary description, right, of what's going on to the people of Joseph represented in uh, his, his sons, the grandsons of Jacob, who were adopted as full inheritors, of, of the inheritance with the rest of uh, Jacob's sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. So they're just kind of treated here in summary way. Um, and so we had that very expansive territory of Judah described that, that goes uh, out from the Dead Sea to, all the way down to the wilderness and then uh, basically just uh, you know avoids the, the, the Philistines <laughs> um, over, over there towards, towards the east. Um, but but yes, can, can, you can you can point to the the sea as uh, ultimately that that border, and so here now we we have this description here, 
and uh, just kind of very, very logical, kind of similarly starting from um, not in this case, the Dead Sea, but the Jordan, because we're a little bit further north. So, you know, we're just starting at the Jordan River. This is kind of the, uh, the, the hinge of this whole territory, right? It's why the territory, we talked about this a little bit um, last time, you know, like what good is all this pasture land if you don't have any water, right? I mean, so it, it's, it's this river um, among uh, some other bodies of water that, that makes this land worth having. Um, also, of course, the position by the Mediterranean. So we're starting there from uh, the Jordan River, um, and then we're, then we're going out um, eastward, uh, following along, it says here, uh, east of the waters of, of Jericho. So we, we talked about that a little bit, how Jericho uh, was kind of bordering some kind of a spring or perhaps river or something like this. Um, and then so it just kind of traces, traces this out, right, and ultimately shows us that the that the territory ends with the Mediterranean here. So just there it is. They have this kind of northern chunk that goes between uh, the Mediterranean and and the Jordan. A very a very prominent and uh, well, we'll put it and to put it lightly, it's a, it's a pretty decent piece of real estate, right? Yeah. yeah. So 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 let's then consider uh, how it gets broken down here. Right. Like, like we said, this is just kind of a summary statement here. Uh, it is interesting before we move on, though, uh, already. Right. Um, two mentions of uh, Gentile peoples. Right. Uh, and they're in verse two, the territory of the Archites. And then um, in verse three, then it goes down westward to the territory of the Japhletites. Now, that's 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 a mouthful. Right. Fla. <laughs> Japhletites. Um, and, and we and we kind of saw this already. Actually, that was kind of the last note in chapter 15, right? That the Jebusites, the inheritance, uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem uh, were, were still around. So it is interesting, too, that kind of just in this uh, transition from 15 to 16, we're, we're just we, we keep getting reminded of all of these uh, foreign peoples that maybe didn't quite get driven out all the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that will assume uh, uh, importance as we go on here. Right, right. So, yeah, and, and certainly, I, I think I think that really finally, okay, after all these hints, we're gonna we're gonna get there in chapter eighteen, I believe, where where Joe <clears throat> or Joshua uh, is you know really uh, exhorting the people, hey, look, you really haven't taken possession of all the land that's rightfully yours here. There's a bunch of these guys still still hanging out around here uh, you know and it's uh, you, you can see it i mean like the territory right is um it's kind of being artificially limited here because of of the peoples right so anyways uh important just to see that in verses two and three that hey there's there's uh, not quite everything is is uh is totally taken care of here so let's go ahead and turn now to the part that deals specifically about Ephraim now it breaks it up and we can kind of ask some of these questions about, okay, now why Ephraim first? And you kind of already hinted at the answer. Um, you know, what is the possession of Ephraim kind of in comparison to Manasseh, these sorts of things. So uh, picking it up then at verse four, which just, you know, and in, in the same way uh, with that verb form uh, just continues the story, right? The continues the chronological narrative. The people of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, received their inheritance. The territory of the people of Ephraim by their clans was as follows. The boundary of their inheritance on the east was Adaroth Adar, as far as Upper Beth Horon, and the boundary goes from there to the sea. On the north is Mikmathath. Then on the east, the boundary turns around towards Tanashilo and passes along beyond it on the east to Genoa. Then it goes down from Genoa to Adaroth and to Nara and touches Jericho, ending at the Jordan. All right, just pausing right there. Um, so here we are specifically. We've got Manasseh and Ephraim listed. And uh, just just uh, before we kind of get to the actual borders, isn't it just already interesting, right, that here when they're listed in verse 4, Manasseh is listed first and then Ephraim second. But now in verse 5, we're talking about Ephraim first. Okay, so there's even a reversal in the text. And as you were saying, 
this sort of mirrors a reversal that has already happened, right? So there's this is that that chronology, that history reflecting the theology, right? So yeah, go ahead and if you would elaborate on that for us. Well, it goes back if you look at uh, the whole the the way the New Testament uh, develops uh, Jacob and Esau, and of course uh, Jacob uh, teaches what we would call God's election of grace, mm-hmm. and that uh, the law would put Esau uh, first, uh, mm-hmm. just as the law would put Manasseh first. But mm-hmm. in, according to God's uh, gracious choosing, uh, he deliberately does it uh, in opposition to, to, to the law, not, not, not in the sense of uh, against what human strength might uh, ingenuity could accomplish. He he takes the younger, puts the younger over the older, in order to sh- illustrate and to teach us uh, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. The whole the, go- right. the race of God doesn't fit into our legal systems. It it mm-hmm. uh, and you see this this uh, being hinted at. I would say right right here in this chapter. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I think so, that you have th- this pattern, and it just, it just seems to just keep happening, right? Um, and it, it's very fitting when you're reading Genesis that, you know, we get this story of, of Jacob and Esau, and, you know, Esau, as you were saying, is, is, is Jacob's firstborn, who's going to get the firstborn blessing. And the firstborn blessing, as we talked about a little bit before with numbers even, I mean, gets this really big inheritance. It's um, like, if I recall correctly, like the firstborn gets basically half and then every other son like kind of splits the other half. And this isn't necessarily because uh, the firstborn is like uh, better or something, um, but more that they they represent and in some ways they kind of embody their their father, uh, their predecessors. And, and they kind of maintain the name. They maintain the land. There's this continuity of identity. Uh, and it's really important because y- you need that continuity in the face of death. You know that that these names, right, need to be uh, need to be brought forward into the future, right? Which is why we saw in numbers. There was so much concern, right, for maintaining inheritances and making sure that one tribe wouldn't encroach on another tribe, or you know, there was the talk about you know providing for ways that a name would not be wiped out. Um, so that that's this really important idea. Um, so as you were saying, it's. It's not as if, you know, it's like this uh, this law that's like bad and God needs to like, you know, change it or something. But it was the law in the sense of this is a, a good way of doing things, really, um, for some important reasons. But yet there is this reversal that happens um, a couple of times. And so we should we should talk more about this, but we got to take our, our short break here. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at Joshua chapter 16 here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. When I look at the x-ray of your funny bone, it seems that everything is A-OK. Medical research has proven laughter helps you both emotionally and physically. Wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. are on demand. We've been putting the fun in the fundamentals for over 30 years. Over 30 years? Ooh, don't put too much strain on your funny bone. Nine out of ten doctors agree. It's less painful than getting a flu shot. Go yuck. Hello. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO 
Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and work be busy on your corner. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 16, which is, as we were saying, it's a story that is a story that's built on top of other stories that, you know, it's just kind of narrating this is what happened. You know, the lot falls to Joseph, and and then uh, Ephraim takes his inheritance, Manasseh takes his, but it's there's a lot going on when this is being said, and we're just talking about this. Um, we are joined today by Pastor Rolf Preuss. He's the pastor of two congregations up there in Montana. Uh, you got Trinity and Sydney and St. John in Fairview. Uh, so good to have you with us, brother, and looking at this text here. And I want to make, sh- make sure to invite our live listeners. If you have a question for me or for Pastor Preuss, you can give us a call at 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. Or as always, you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And we thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Their website is lhfmissions.org. Check that out if you haven't already. A pretty neat website. They're always updating it with some content and some news. So, yes, we were just talking about this reversal. And, and you were, you were uh, I appreciate that you were, you were connecting it already to the New Testament, and that the New Testament continues this idea of this, uh, as, as you were putting it, as, as our Lord put it, um, the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So you, you have that going on. And we were just talking about the background of this, it kind of going, going all the way back to Jacob and Esau that, yeah, there were, there were practical reasons, right, for the firstborn to have this extra large blessing and to have this um, kind of particular uh, inheritance. There's a particular role, responsibility that fell to them, right? But God just in his mercy goes and shows, it, it's not as if I go and I, I love the firstborn uh, more, and, and, and then the, the rest of them, like, eh, yeah, well, you know, I don't really particularly care about them. Like, no. Um, and in fact, in the New Testament, right, I mean, doesn't, doesn't it say there in, in Romans, it, it quotes this idea that, that God loved Jacob, right, even though he's the younger of the two. And, and Jacob ends up with the inheritance. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a theme that it, it's not, I don't think it's about, as you were saying about the New Testament, like kind of breaking the law or making a new one or saying, now, you know what, uh, secondborns are going to get all the inheritance now, right? No, but just there's a law. This is a good way for things to work most of the time, but God shows mercy to make sure that we understand that, that his love is for all um, and no one has any room to boast, right? Yeah, and I, I think it's a tendency, everybody has this tendency, no matter how pious they are, to 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 try to take control over God, to stick him right. into a, whether it's a system or whether it is some kind of a, of a way that you, you get God to behave the way God ought to behave. And then he says, no, no, I am not going to. You're the one that is going to... to uh, uh, receive the way I do things. And uh, the way he does things is going to contradict uh, convention. It's going to contradict what maybe makes sense to people. But uh, the gospel uh, is not, uh, it isn't contrived by, by human ingenuity. It is God's grace. And the grace of God always uh, is, is a little bit uh, surprising maybe even right. offensive to people. Yeah, yeah, cer- certainly. And that was, I mean, you know, I just think of like our Lord, you know, saying like, you know, blessed is the one who, um, you know, is, is not offended or scandalized because of me, right? I mean, it's, it really speaks to, as you were saying, how, you know, we, we try to, we try to put God in a box and as you were saying, control him, right? As if, if we kind of like, and this is the whole idea with like magic and with paganism, essentially that right, it's like if you right. follow the instructions and kind of follow the recipe, like you will kind of force God to do certain things, right? And and it's as you were saying, like you don't have to be 
uh, a pagan to think that way. We kind of just naturally begin to think like, oh, hey, look, if I do this, like God's going to, you know, follow through with his end of the deal. Right. And so this is just kind of this, this natural part of the sinful condition. And so God, in addition to working through his kind of regular ways, like the ways of the law, they're just kind of, this is how the normal uh, flow of things goes. He works through these, these extraordinary and surprising ways yeah. at times and, uh, to, to just make sure, I mean, a lot of ways, among other reasons, you know, to, to show mercy and to show love, but also lest we think we control him, right? And uh, this is such a, if we go back to that story in Genesis, then where there's the second reversal, it, it's a, it's so illustrative of this fact how here, here comes Joseph, right? And, and uh, Jacob is going to bless his sons. And he goes and like, it, it's uh, it's really interesting how the text makes such a big deal out of it. He's like, okay. And he's going to, he walks up his son Manasseh and puts him over by his father's right hand. And then he puts yeah. Ephraim, right? And he's like, okay, here's the younger one. I'm going to put him over by, by dad's left hand, right? It's like, okay, this is how you're going to bless him, dad. Like, exactly. you know, because yeah. it's how it's supposed to go, right? Um, and then, yeah. right, he, um, he it's, it's, it's amazing. Like he, his father, he just goes and he crosses his arms, right? And he goes, he's just like, okay, well, you're going to put him that way. I'm just going to cross my arms over here. And my right hand's going on Ephraim. And Joseph's like objecting. He's like, what are you doing, dad? No, no that's I'm... not right. Put, put it over here on the older. But, but, but Jacob says, uh, no, son, this is how we're going to do things. Yeah. No, that is, that's a, that's a great, and, and what's, what's so great about it, if you, you just, if you look at that, and isn't, uh, 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 Jacob, he's pretty old, and yeah. he can't he can't see real well. Yeah, and, and you're, you're thinking of uh, you're thinking back of his dad. Yeah, and and <laughs> but the but the different the difference being Jacob had to you know he he acted in deceptive in getting it, but right. here he's just direct, straightforward. No, no, Joseph, this is the way right. it's going to be. Uh, I think um, he has learned, and uh, but it is. It is taking it, when you take it out of our hands and, and, and leave it in God's hands where it belongs, then also, then also you are going to be trusting in what he says rather than what, what you surmise. And this is another thing about the way he puts the, the, the uh, younger over the older, uh, is, is, is that it is a discipline to us who always want to figure things out so if you want to figure things out, just listen to me. Listen to the Word of God, and then you're secure, and you're also your faith is kept solid. Right, uh, right. Yeah, no, that's right. You can't you can't ever figure things out so well that you can always say what God's going to do. It doesn't doesn't work that way. I mean, he's he's keeping us humble and showing us that. I mean, the the only reason why you can figure things out is because I've made these natural laws and and these other laws, and because I'm directing things in this regular way. But just to remind you, you know, that it really is me who is behind even these things. You know, he, he you know, like you were saying, like he keeps us humble and, and shows us that we, we have to ultimately rely on him. And that's, I mean, we've just seen this theme throughout. Uh, I mean, you see a theme throughout Scripture, but even just in Joshua, right, that, you know, like Joshua thinks that, they have to follow a particular strategy, right? Or else they're never going to be able to take the promised land, right? He's like, oh no, like this this news about, you know, our, our defeat here at I, it can't get out or else they're going to make an alliance. And if they make an alliance, we're doomed. And, and initially, as we saw, you know, God's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll help you out here at I. I will stop the alliance from happening, right? But then later he lets it happen just to show him, hey, you know what? It wasn't your strategy, Joshua, they could all make a big alliance and you still win because it's me who's doing it. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that is a constant uh, lesson that's taught and retaught actually throughout the Bible. And, uh, you can see it here too. Right. Right. So, so yeah, just big, big scriptural theme that, that God shows up to, to remind us really. I mean, it is always an act of mercy. It's not capriciousness, right? It's not like he's just like one day he's like, you know what, today let's mix it up and let's, let's let Ephraim get, get the firstborn blessing. You know, why not? Right. It's, it's not like that. It's, uh, there's these gracious purposes here. And so, 
Um, you know, even though in verse four, this is kind of like, you know, it's uh, kind of a nod to this story. Manasseh is the firstborn of Joseph. Well, but actually Ephraim gets uh, his bit first. And, and, and for that reason, if, if we look at the description here, he is getting the, the kind of the prime real estate here. Um, this is the, the chunk, as we were just describing here, that, that's right there in the middle, really, of, of this good land. I mean, which is, a, which is a great spot to be at. You know, we were talking a little bit um, last time, you know, like, you know, if you're down in Judah, it was a very good inheritance, right? But you have Edom in your backyard, now, speaking of Esau, right? Um, and you're kind of just constantly dealing then uh, with, with these people on, on the borders, right? But here they are. Ephraim gets this spot uh, right right there, smack in the middle. And also, I mean, it's, you know, it's right by, it's right by the Jordan River. Um, it's right over here by Jerusalem, right? So even though we don't have, Jer we haven't taken Jerusalem, right? That's not going to happen until we get to David. But already, you know, it's, it's right around here. Um, and so it's very natural that in this, in this spot here, this becomes the power position here in, in this uh, piece of territory. And later, when the kingdoms do divide, um, it's Ephraim that becomes the seat of power in the north. And it's the people of Ephraim who are seen in the kings, right? I mean, these, these kings are of the line of Ephraim. Uh, the capital is, is in Ephraim. I mean, it's, it re you really see this, that you know, Ephraim is the one who becomes Judah's counterpart in the north, this this prime blessing having gone to the younger. Yeah. Yeah, well, history bears out what we see here. It, uh, um, it's going to be, it's going to come about just the way uh, uh, Jacob said uh, way back in Genesis. Right. And uh, we right. see that unfold throughout the history and after the divided kingdom and so forth. Right, right. Actually, I'm, I'm wondering here. I haven't looked at this in a while, but what was it in um, Jacob's blessing? You know, actually, yeah, that's right. In Jacob's blessing, right, he didn't specifically uh, name Ephraim and Manasseh, right? He just talks about Joseph, um, you know, his uh, his you know favored son who gets this double portion of of sorts, and, and he he talks um, so much, right, about about Joseph in that blessing back from Genesis chapter 49. Um, he talks about, you know, Joseph is a, a fruitful uh, bough, a fruitful bough by, by a spring, um, and, he, and he goes on, and there is, you know, this kind of interesting comment, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. There's, so there really, there really is just this, this big, big blessing, you know, the, the blessing of uh, some of the of the other sons, like, you know, Naphtali and Asher, it's like a sentence, <laughs> right? right? Like, you know, uh, I mean, like Gad, right? Gad has like, uh, one, it kind of makes me chuckle every time I read it. It's like, raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Mm. I mean, it's just sort of like, dad, was that a blessing? Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, like that's, that, that's the one sentence, right? But Joseph, I mean, it's like practically half of the blessing back there in uh, Genesis 49. And, and yeah, this, this shepherd language, this mighty language, right? Um, already it seems to be foreshadowing uh, this, this leadership role that, that Ephraim is going to have ultimately in the Northern Kingdom as long as it, as, as long as it lasted anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I know that goes, uh, you can see, you can see the fulfillment of, uh, of what Jacob said. And, uh, that becomes pretty clear. You're right. I mean, just in reading through uh, Genesis chapter 49, um, I think we, we tend to focus on what he said to Judah because he, he's, of, right. of course, the line of, of, of the Savior. But uh, what you say here about Joseph, he he's also figures very prominently here. And uh, then you see how that is carried out in the history of, of the nation. Right. Right. Yes. And also, you know, um, and I think we, we maybe um, already skipped over this. Don't neglect, neglect this. But if I if I recall correctly, Joshua himself was of the tribe of Ephraim. And, and so you you see that that even though it's true. Right. Yes. Um, our Lord Jesus, descendant um, of the tribe of Judah. 
right? You know, and so he's spoken of as the new David, the fulfillment of David inheriting King David's throne, right? Um, even though you have that, you do have in this stage of, of God's people, the stage of the story here, I mean, Joshua, right, who prefigures the Lord Jesus, you know, himself from Ephraim. So, I mean, Ephraim really had this this really preeminent place. And, it, you know, in, in this kind of certain way, as we've been tracking this, that Joshua prefigures uh, the Lord Jesus. I mean, you, you see the the role and the authority of the Christ even actually through Ephraim in that respect. You know, even if it isn't the case that, you know, uh, you know, uh, Joseph himself was from Ephraim or something like that. Right. But like you, you still see um, Christ at work and in his presence in this authority and blessing. Yeah, that's a good point. And of course, uh, I imagine um, uh, that you covered this some time ago in, in this class about uh, uh, about the connection between Joshua and Jesus and uh why do they name Jesus Jesus? And right. uh, it is a well. These are these are little little uh, uh, pictures, uh, indications of the the, the uh, of the of the Christ. And to, to bring this in through the history, um, it helps to it helps to underscore that uh, all Scripture uh, is written uh, for the purpose of leading us. To faith in Christ and sustaining us in that faith. So it's good to see how you have a little bit of a of a type here. Uh, right. So, yeah. yeah. A- amen. Certainly. Certainly. Yes. Pointing. Pointing ahead. And um and yeah and then also just you know again like you know just mention just even mentioning Jericho right I mean again <laughs> it's just uh you know at back in verse seven there you know it's like well and who and who defeated Jericho right who who knocked down those walls right you know it it, it was it was God through Joshua right you know um, and it's again just you know foreshadowing the victory that. Uh, that we have in Christ. Um, and so just, just again and again and again, right. You, you see this all pointing ahead and, um, you know, in, in this particular stage in a lot of ways, um, through Ephraim. So, uh, let's, let's not neglect that there, there wasn't just one tribe of, of Israel that had significance and, and we're going to get to the rest too, but, uh, yes, but let's go ahead. I don't want to forget. We, we only stopped. I think we stopped right there kind of at the bit describing, um, that, that Eastern boundary, that kind of goes on and, and winds up right there around um, Jericho, around the Jordan. But let's go ahead and describe the, the rest of the border here. So verse A, so it says, From Tapua, the boundary goes westward to the brook Cana and ends at the sea. Such is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Ephraim by their clans, together with the towns that were set apart for the people of Ephraim within the inheritance of the Manassites, all those towns with their villages. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. So, yeah, really kind of interesting stuff here at the end then. And we're going to get to this, I think, more perhaps when we talk about um, Dan, because actually this is this is sort of interesting because here, um, you know, like as, as you're reading this here, what is this um, this boundary that's on the West? Well, in verse eight, right, it says the boundary goes westward um, to the brook Kana and then ends at the sea. But if you look at like your standard map of the 12 tribes of Israel, Ephraim's territory does not go out to the sea. Um, there's instead this chunk over there to the uh, to the west, and it's Dan. So, uh, yeah, so so something, right, and, and it kind of gets a little bit more into this when it talks about, hey, there's some Canaanites too, right? So something's like not quite right about this inheritance, right? Like it doesn't quite match up. So yeah, what what's going on? What are what are some of the things that that we can uh, consider here? Well, I think the fact that uh, these Canaanites are not driven out, um, there is a uh, there is a concern for the, uh, the spiritual welfare of God's people, and when you've got um, particularly. Um, oh, 
vile religious practices that go against the faith, and thou are going to be promoted and tolerated, and you're going to have this influencing you, um, it, it teaches us today that there, there, while there's a universal love for all people, there's also an intolerance of falsehood that will jeopardize the, the, the faith and then the spiritual well-being of, of, of God's people. They didn't drive them all out, and then the, this then becomes a, a source of trouble. Right. Uh, and so we have, I know our, our synod has often uh, been criticized for our concern for the pure doctrine, as if this is something, you know, overstated, but, but we understand that it's for the sake of of the care of souls that we we hold to the truth and we exclude error. That's how I would apply these this verse here uh, mm. to our day. Is that um, don't uh, mess around when it comes to the God's truth. Hold right. to it in, in its entirety, and don't um, permit uh, false teaching to coexist alongside the true teaching. Right. Yeah, no, I think, and I think so. I think that's uh, something that you see in the story so far in Numbers and in Joshua. I mean, uh, and of course, Joshua actually mentioned us, reminded us of what happened back in Numbers, the, the whole thing when before they had crossed the Jordan, when they were over there on uh, the plains of Moab, right? And then what happened, right? Well, along comes Balaam and he, he brings with them like uh, the women of the area. And what do they come bringing? Well, they're I mean, they're idolatry, right? And, and you see yeah. this again and again, and I mean, we're going to see it a lot when we get to judges, right? Just that that's this is the consequence of, of leaving these people and, and just trying to, you know, uh, be like, oh, okay, no, you know, we'll do our thing. They'll do their thing. Well, the problem is you end up doing their thing too. Um, I mean, like it's the, the, the purity of, of the doctrine, you might say, right? I mean, just, or just the identity of the people, right? The, the purity of the, of what you have going on is a life of worship gets compromised is what happens. And, and so you see that how, you know, God is, uh, he's not pleased, right. What, with the whole thing, what that went down in the case of, uh, the, the guys who came in, they were like, Oh, Hey, we're, we're from a faraway land. And yeah, don't, don't, you don't have to, you know, wipe us out, make, make an alliance with us. Right. The, right. Um, I mean, that right. was, who was that? It was the, um, the, the, in Gilead, was it? no, who, who are the um, the Gibeonites? That's right. And we remember that, like, you know, it says there even, like, well, they didn't consult God on that question, right? You know, kind of like if they had. Um, so, you know, what happened there seems to be happening again. That, you know, it says here in, in the last half of verse 10, the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. So it seems like they must have made some kind of deal uh, with with the with the Canaanites who were in, in, in Gezer, it doesn't explain what the deal was. Presumably, it's something similar to what happened um, there with the Gibeonites, right? But, I mean, just again and again, these are these compromises that you make. And, yeah, God is merciful in the midst of it. I mean, I guess the Gibeonites were spared, and, and so were the people of Gezer, right? So God's still merciful in the midst of our our sin, right? Um, but these compromises, they, they lead to these problems that we're just going to see kind of cropping up again and again. Yeah, and you don't have the, uh, you, you, you never really solve it, you never really resolve it in the whole Old Old Testament until, well, after the exile, I suppose, but then you've just got a fraction of the people there, and the religion deteriorates into moralism, finally. But what you've got is a constant um, conflict. You know, if you read Luther, he, he always puts it in, in light of the central topic of our faith, you know, um, so justification by faith alone or or by by works and uh, or grace versus uh, the religion of human effort and that but uh, if you do, if you compare and contrast what God revealed to his people uh, to what was the native uh, religion of this area mm -hmm. goodness you can see this in our day yep. that these Two opposing religions are still uh, com competing for the affection of the people right here in America. So I think mm -hmm. it's a very timely uh, uh, thing for us to read 
because uh, you can see the inroads of a uh, of, of a oh uh, the the attitude towards children, the attitude towards sexual purity, the attitude towards family, a lot of things that we contend with today in our culture. These issues were were way back there. Uh, right. Yeah. No, it's it's true. Right. I mean, it's. And it's it's sometimes um, actually like really helpful. We've we've mentioned this before. I think that you know, it's kind of helpful sometimes. And I think Luther kind of had the same approach to this: to go back and you look and you see these things in the Old Testament, um, or even in the New Testament, actually. Um, and it just kind of dispels any kind of myth that may have arisen in our minds that well back then when they were marching around with Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle, man, that was like the golden age and everything was perfect and. You know, just why can't we be like it was with Joshua, right? I mean, or, you know, we do the same thing with, like, the apostles, right? As, as if, right. you know, the, the apostles never got anything wrong, right? So we, we often do this, and we're just like, man, things are so bad now. But, you know, back then, oh, you know, like, would that I have lived then, you know? But uh, th- this just kind of dispels that and says, hey, no, look, they were human back then, too. Um, and so Luther says, you know, like, he, he's comforted when he sees uh, sometimes, like, the, the sins here, um, because it's just showing us, hey, look, they were, they were human too. God was still in the business of forgiving and having mercy and doing that confession and absolution and, and all the rest here. So, yeah. yeah, this this description here at the end, you know, it uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to quite mesh, uh, line up with what ends up happening with Dan and the whole thing about Dan, like, failing to take their inheritance. And so they kind of wind up doing something else. And so is is kind of already hinting about a lot of problems that are going to crop up. And um, by God's mercy, this does show us that, you know what, uh, our, our sin has kind of always been the same, but the good news is God's forgiveness has never run out, and he's still in the same business of forgiving and leading to repentance that he's always been in. No, amen to that. I, and you, you see uh, what you just said a few moments ago about uh, how Luther would look at the Old and, and the New Testaments and to point out, uh, like the continuity, it is the same God, the same faithfulness, the same weakness sins of his people, and the same grace of God. And you see this, uh, you see this throughout the scriptures from, from cover to cover. And that's a great comfort because we're not so different uh, and and uh, nothing really has changed. Uh, right. and then you just see the constant um, faithfulness of God in the face of the unfaithfulness of his people, and he always draws us back to him. Amen. Amen. Well, all out of time already. And now just, it's a short little chapter here, but just so much in there, like we were saying. Thank you so much for joining us and just helping us to really appreciate so much that's going on there the constancy of God's faithfulness. Thank you, brother, and looking forward to having you on again soon. Thanks for having me. Everybody, that was Pastor Rolf Preuss, pastor at Trinity in Sydney and St. John in Fairview, Montana. Moving on to chapter 17, looking at Manasseh. So the rest of the tribe of Joshua, what's going or tribe of Joseph, what's going on there? Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.